Well, being man enough, it's not about pushing it off or brushing it off or trying to be strong. Because as men, all we want to do is be strong. And sometimes that strength is just looking at your brother and saying, man, I'm not, I'm not feeling it today. I'm not good. I don't, I don't like my wife right now. She's bothering me. <laughs> or I don't, I don't like my kids right now. They're bothering me. Whatever it is, like be honest. You know, be honest with your brothers because we can't, we can't have our brotherhood just be about, you know, the three Bs, beers, ball games, and breast. Welcome to Men This Way podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. Are you addicted to overthinking like I am? How do you know what to say yes to or no to? Do you understand the essential importance of being in a men's group? Well, in this episode, my guest, author Sylvester McNutt III, and I mine these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. I love this conversation with Sylvester. In fact, this conversation felt more like a meditation for me personally. My lady, Sylvie Kukassian, turned me on to Sylvester's work and actually connected the two of us. And she cautioned me, she's like, you and Sylvester are going to get along swimmingly and he's a deep soul and your conversation is going to be rich and deep and juicy. And she was right. Now, Sylvester is a, uh, a, a mega selling author, I'm going to guess, uh, of eight books. And I'm, I'm going to guess that because his books have thousands of reviews on Amazon. Uh, inspiring titles such as Lust for Life and Care Package, A Path to Deep Healing, and Free Your Energy, The Path to Freedom, Mental Clarity, and a Life of Enjoyment. And our conversation covered a healthy swath of topics from overthinking to the importance of forgiving our fathers to the masculine joy of doing nothing which is what meditation can be if we allow it, to how we can listen to the body's wisdom to determine what to say yes to and no to, and, and so much more. But here's the thing that I really, really enjoyed about my conversation with Sylvester, and, and we are new to each other. Um, so, uh, but, but the thing that really excited me, that I really enjoyed about talking with Sylvester is, well, for example, one, one thing that podcasters often do is remove all spaces from an interview. Like there's no space. They take out ums and ahs and and because they want to make sure that your attention isn't given an opportunity to get bored. But I'm a bit thoughtful about that. And I often like to allow some space. Uh, I don't want our conversations to feel rushed, trying to hit you with lots of content. And in this interview, uh, Sylvester would sometimes pause for a few seconds after I asked him a question. He'd close his eyes and let inspiration speak through him. And I respect that. And I like that. And I know it can make for a more inspired conversation. And so sometimes there's going to be a little silence in this interview for a few seconds. Uh, Don't check to see if it stopped playing or if your phone's broken or (laughs) just enjoy the silence, and the wisdom that comes with it. I encourage you to let this conversation be a meditation for you as well, to really let it sink into your bones. 
So uh, definitely stay tuned all the way through to Sylvester McNutt III's five key takeaways at the end of this episode of Men This Way. And one more thing, my new book, Choose Her Every Day or Leave Her, it recently shot up to number 12 on Amazon in the dating genre. Like overnight, it went from uh, a total sales on the entire website of uh, at 59,000th place in all sales to 1,600th in all sales. Now, I have no idea what any of that really means, except that it does mean people are buying it and reading it and word is spreading. People are getting real value out of it. Uh, choose her every day or leave her. It's essential reading for any man or woman who genuinely wants to thrive in intimacy. Go get it online wherever you buy your books. It's not on Audible yet. Uh, hopefully that'll be coming uh, sometime in the next, I don't know, six months to a year, maybe sooner. But in any case, uh, go get it wherever you buy your books. All right, back to my conversation with Sylvester McNutt III. <sighs> Take a deep breath and stay present with us all the way through to the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Sylvester McNutt III. Sir, welcome to Men This Way podcast. It is, a, it is a privilege and an honor to have you on, man. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm going to ask you a question that I don't ask often. I don't think I've ever asked this question, but I love it. It's a great question, I think. <laughs> well, let's see. You tell me. <laughs> Sylvester, and... Um, you you said that you you nicknames so you sometimes your friends call you Sly, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a slide that right in there if that's okay Sly. Absolutely. Uh, that was horrible. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> this was such a dad joke, and I'm not even a dad. Sly, what's alive for you right now, man? What are you excited about? What's alive for you? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, there's a few things. Most recently, I would say just the the meditation practice that that I've been sticking with has been consistent and um it's one of those things where I found meditation back in 2012 it was very consistent from 12 to 14 my dad passed away in 2014 one of the consequences of my father passing away was me fully engaging myself into my career and so one of the sacrifices I made was I fell out of my routine with uh, my yoga practice that I was doing and my meditation practice that was connected to yoga. So recently over the last few months, like my body has been screaming at me to reconnect with my, my meditation practice and to reconnect with yoga. And, uh, you know, finally I said, okay, body, I have to listen to you. You're screaming at me. I clearly have to listen to you. I have to give you what you want. So I, I re-implemented uh, a meditation practice. It's been I mean, it's changed me in the quantum world, you know, which has changed me in the physical world. So it's just like, of all the things I could say, I, there, was a, there was a few things that went through my head, but I have to, at this present moment, like I have to give the nod to the meditation practice. Um, Cause it's just, I just feel like it shifted me so much uh, recently after going through a lot of changes last year. So definitely the meditation. When you say your body was screaming at you, what do you mean? Yeah, I grew up a football player. You know, bigger, faster, stronger sprints, uh, push, press, squats, deadlifts, you know, all that, which is <clears throat> and then, of course, playing the game, too. So it's 
it's a lot of trauma on your body. You know, it's a lot of stress on your body. And I continue to work out in that way, to train like an athlete. You know, in my 20s, I, I train the same way. Like, one of the consequences of doing that, though, is your body gets really tight, you know, because you're, you're, you're activating all those fast twitch muscles. You're lifting. You know, your, your muscles get really tight. And so my body was screaming at me to release. It's like really release. It was, it was basically telling me I was tight. Um, but what I've learned over time, because I see, I see the world through like a holistic lens. I can't just look at my body. This is the way I think. I can't just look at my body and say, my physical body is tight. I have to look at it and say, okay, well, my mental body is tight too. Like my spiritual body is tight as well. So my question then became to myself, okay, what do I need to do? to release, to release this. Um, and so the, the answer was, at least for my physical side, was to add uh, Bikram yoga back into my routine. So I've been doing that. Uh, I do Bikram yoga and then I do F45, you know, functional fitness. And then, um, and then I added the, the meditation. And even with journaling, journaling is one of my, one of my passions. I would probably say it's my career. I'm, a, I'm an author all you're doing is journaling essentially. And I found myself in this pattern where everything I was writing was for the public. You know, it was for an email newsletter. It was for an essay, for an article, for a book. But then there wasn't this, there wasn't the writing for myself, to myself. You know, so I had to, I had to like, this year has really just been me just coming home to myself and just asking me like, okay, what do you need? You know, I needed to keep going at 45, the, the functional fitness training, but I needed also to add the, the yoga in there. You know, I needed to bring, I need to continue writing, but I need to find sp spaces to write for me, you know, so I could express what was on my heart. And then I needed to bring in that meditation practice. And just those three things over the last couple of months, just refining that, that practice. It's, it's just, man, it's just changed everything. What does your meditation practice look like? You know, I know a lot of a lot of, of my peers, they like to do it in the morning. As soon as they, they work, they wake up. That time doesn't work for me. <laughs> it just mm -hmm. it, it just doesn't work for me. Because what's going on at that time for you? The way that people feel after coffee is the way I feel as soon as I wake up. Like I wake up and I'm instantly on. I'm instantly ready. I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. I think that's a consequence. My father was in the army and then just growing up as a football player, you're used to getting up at 4.35 a.m. and just initiate, like just starting your day right away, you know? So I'm used to just getting up and going. So I get up and first thing I do is I go in the bathroom and I wash my face. Every day I wash my face. You know, that's what people are always like, oh, you know, what's your skincare routine? I'm like, it's really <laughs> simple. Like soap, water, and I wash my face in the morning. <laughs> But I do that till I wake up. Now I tell myself some affirmations. I'm like, all right, come on, let's go. You're going to do this. This is this would be a good day. I kind of hype myself up. But for meditation, I can't do it in the morning. So I always do it in the afternoon. I did it right before uh, chatting with you. Sometime between 1 to 5 p.m. I always do it in the afternoon. I put my heating pad down. Uh, I have a, a heating pad that's about this long. And for the people who cannot see the videos, about a little longer than shoulder width apart. And uh, I lay it on the floor and uh, I put it on and then I lay on there for 20, 30 minutes. That's if I'm doing it at home and just, you know, just kind of see what happens. And you live in Arizona, man. You use a heating pad when you meditate. <laughs> I don't understand that math. I'll be honest with you. You know, the air conditioning but, is on in the uh, house. Okay. <laughs> so it's cold. That's a, <laughs> yeah. 
I, you know, I too, I've, I've experimented. I mean, I discovered meditation years ago, man, but I just mm-hmm. couldn't buy into it. I just couldn't buy into it. And a number of few years back, one of my teachers gave me an amazing gift around meditation. Um, just the simplicity of it. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I think for me, it's become like brushing my teeth. If I don't, I can go a couple of days without, you know, but a couple of days mm-hmm. without, and like what you said, something inside starts screaming at me. It's usually my head, my thoughts, anxiety, worries, like, oh shit, sky's falling. It ain't falling. I just, I haven't taken some time to just sit and be mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. and enjoy doing nothing. So thank you for, I, I noticed one thing that as I was um, preparing for our conversation and diving into your work in the world, uh, one of the things that I heard you say about yourself is that you are extremely disciplined. I think it was, uh, it was listening to a podcast episode about uh, that you titled The Lone Wolf. Oh, yeah. The Lone yeah. Wolf episode. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is, a, that is an exploration near and dear to my heart as I am a recovering lone wolf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was, I was struck by your, in that episode, you were talking about your need to be more influenced by the world rather than so in your discipline, so in your structured way of moving through the day, allowing yourself to be influenced by the world more. And yet I'm imagining also that, that if you want to really land a, dis- a meditation practice, being disciplined is a healthy, helpful, let's say, let's say helpful skill to have. What would you say to, to our listeners out there that have experimented with meditation? They kind of know it's like it would be something that's good for them, but they just can't make it stick. Don't understand why they're doing it. What would you offer to that person? You know, one of my favorite speakers of all time is Les Brown. And he has this, mm. this, this speech back in the 80s. The whole theme is he's asking the listener what's possible. As we begin to talk about our lives and tell our stories, a lot of the times we, we look at our limits or we look at what didn't happen, what could have happened. Um, we, we don't often talk about what's possible. Never really. We never really talk about possibility. Meditation for me helps me see what's possible in, in, in every way, in every way that you can imagine that. So if you're using a, med- a meditation, and, and that's the thing, I see meditation as a tool. I see it as something that's meant to be used. I've used it before to bring me an experience. I've used it before to try to process an experience. I've used it before to relax. Yesterday, when I did my meditation yesterday, uh, I walked on the treadmill for about a good hour. I like to do walks outside, but it, you know, it's summertime here in Arizona. So. Mm-hmm. Which like, means okay. you will die within two minutes. <laughs> If you're not like, careful. How do, I, how do I get this walk in? Oh, I just walk on uh-huh. the treadmill for now, you know? Uh-huh. So I did my treadmill for an hour, lift it for like 45 minutes. And then I went in there and did meditation for about 30 minutes. And I caught myself in the middle of meditation without even realizing it, just smiling and laughing. I was just laying in the room by myself, smiling and laughing, you know? So it brought me the possibility of joy, you know, an emotional expression of just freedom and just being my most genuine self in a room by myself, just laughing and smiling. So if you're thinking of meditation, maybe, maybe not think of it like, hey, I have to do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and if I miss, something's wrong with me. Maybe just look at it as 
you know, this meditation could show me what's possible. So let me just not put pressure on it and not stress myself out about it and not judge myself as I'm doing it. Just let me just try it out for a few minutes. You know? Yeah. I think that's key too for a few minutes. It doesn't have to be a 30 minute or an hour long experience. It can be 60 seconds, two minutes, just a couple minutes. That's more than enough. Yeah. Two minutes is more than enough to make, to make, to allow your brain to make a change. 30 minutes. The only reason I can do 30 minutes is because I've been doing this on and off for eight years. So I feel like, I feel like I have a, you know, I've worked up to that at the beginning. I wasn't at eight minutes, no way. Or excuse me, at uh, 30 minutes, no way. I was, at, I was doing a few minutes at a time. Yeah. I also, I find meditation is a great way. So I, I do practice it in the morning and I find that it helps me get clear around what, what, what is life really calling from me today? It helps me really step into my day with clarity around what I'm going to give myself to that is worthy of my, my time and my heart and my skill, all of that versus just a day where I wouldn't do that. I'm just often functioning in anxiety of all the have tos that I think I got to do. So I, I can appreciate what you said about that. And I think one other thing that occurs for me in meditation is, you know, I, I think I wonder, I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You know, I work a lot with masculine and feminine dynamics and relationships. And one of the things that I understand about masculine expression, whether man or woman or in any being, is that it ultimately is, wants to get to doing nothing, absolutely nothing. You know, I I, want to solve problems so that I can be free of the problem and I don't have to do anything about it anymore. I want to get to the end of the thing so I don't have to do it, worry about it. I want to, you know, whatever it is, I want to accomplish the mission so I can be fucking done with it already. And that, but that's endless. There are endless problems to be solved. And even sitting for 10 minutes, oftentimes I'll, 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 I'll just say this thing to myself over and over again. Isn't it nice to just do nothing? <laughs> and I'll just sit, do nothing. And I'll tell you, Sylvester, often about five seconds before the bell goes off at the end of the meditation, I'll finally have a moment of, oh yeah, this feels so good to do nothing. Like literally, man, I swear, sometimes it'll happen right before that bell dings. I'll finally hit that spot of, oh yeah, this is so nice. I don't know. What's your experience with meditation as like just sitting and doing nothing? And because you, you've talked a lot about one of the things you've, you've talked about is the, a slower lifestyle. I've seen in your work, you've been drawn yep. to this idea of a slow lifestyle. Well, what is that but a, but, a, but a moving, in a sense, towards a lot more nothing? I don't know. Maybe it's a stretch. What do you say? Here's the thing, is if you can say that we try to solve problems so we don't have to do anything, then we have to accept that there's a duality there. That we're doing everything so we can do nothing. There's a duality. Those are two extremes. To do nothing and to do everything is two extremes. Right? So, really, it's just a state of balance, right? Like, I'm, I'm doing this to solve that. So I don't have to do anything related to that. Well, it's, you're seeking balance. So what better way to find balance than to meditate, <laughs> you know? So like a perfect example of what you were saying is today, I knew I had this chat with you at three. And then I know that I have a, I have a men's group I'm in. We have a chat at five. And it was about 2.20. And I was like, man, I should probably drive to the office now. I've got to make sure I'm on time. So I started packing my bag and then I just felt called to get in the shower. 
I hadn't taken a shower today. I'm like, oh, you can't leave the house like this. Like, you know, you need to take a shower. So I'm in the shower and it's like, <clears throat> a lot of the times when we're getting ready to do things, what do we do? We rush, we push, we're like, oh, I gotta do this. I need to do this. And we have this checklist of things we do that you talked about it earlier, the anxiety. Well, now what are you doing to your nervous system? You're putting yourself in a fight or flight mode. Every time you do that, you can't heal. Your, your, your immune system shuts down when you go into fight or fight mode because it thinks you have to protect yourself. So my question is, how many points in, throughout your common day and your life are you doing this to yourself? I could easily rush out the door, but I didn't. I got in my shower. Actually, I actually put some lavender oil in the shower and I sat down at the, at the bottom and I smelled it. I did my meditation in the shower before I came over here. Oh, I love it. Just sitting on the floor. It's hot water. And the number one thing I kept saying to myself is I have time because initially my body was telling me like, okay, you need to go. You can't be late. You can't be late. But I told myself I have time, I have more than enough time. Walked to my car, took my time, like wasn't looking at the clock, wasn't obsessing because here's the deal. Me and you have a relationship. Our relationship is this very exact moment. And everything that I did leading up to this is going to be is going to come into our interaction. You know, my work, I, I talk a lot about energy. So the energy we exchange is going to be the consequence of everything I've been doing for the last two hours and that you've been doing for the last two hours and even further. So my question is this, who do I want to be when I come to this? Well, there's, it's possible that I could be 100 different Sylvester's. If you interview me tomorrow, I might be the rah-rah captain of the football team, let's go, you know, you got to do that. You know, that might, that might be tomorrow's interview. Well, the, if you've inter interviewed me the following day, we might talk about, I'm a dad. We might talk about fatherhood the whole time. You know, you never know. It's, it's like, you're so different. So to me, my conscious choice was my body needs to rest before I do this chat. And now that I'm in the chat with you, I feel like it was literally the perfect choice feel like it was the most perfect choice. And that to me is like the power of meditation. It, it can give you so many different possibilities. I'm really resonating with what you're saying. As I, as I looked at my day today as well, um, I have a particularly busy week. Uh, Sylvie, my lady, who, by the way, I want to give a shout out to her because she, Sylvie Kukasian, she, she made this uh, connection between you and I. And Sylvie has brought just endless good things into my life. And, uh, you know, good, good men is one of the gifts that she has brought me a number of times. So I just want to honor her. Love in, to hear that, man. I love this. to hear that. And so, I was, so I'm looking at the day today and I had, I have, I had two, two interviews with, with, uh, with you and another man that I was been really looking forward to and really want to be present for and, and really, really be in and not just you know, phone in. I be, I take these conversations right. seriously, man. I mean, we're having, these are wisdom conversations, which means I don't really know what we're going to talk about exactly. We're going to ask some questions and get out the way. And so as I'm looking at my day, there's a part of me that, you know, as an entrepreneur, man, our work is never done. It's right. never done. There's always something else. There's always more. It's always endless. When I die, there will be so much work left to, to be done. But I'm looking at the day and I'm thinking... Man, I have these two conversations today. <sighs> that is the most important thing that I can make myself available for. Everything else is just gravy. Let me just enjoy, relax, breathe, 
very similar to what you're describing. I, mm -hmm. I just, just, just because this right here is all that matters. And it's incredibly relaxing to my nervous system. I think it's my experience is it's showing up in our conversation right now. Oh, we're going to, this is going to be a great segue in a minute, Sylvester. You ready for this? Ready. <laughs> because overthinking, here we go. Overthinking, right? My mm -hmm. brain coming into this, there's that temptation. My brain's like, oh, okay, I need to do this. I need to make it like that. I need, I, I need this thing to go right. I need all the, we need to hit all the points. We need, what if, you know, what if it doesn't do this? What, we don't know each other yet. Are we going to, is the is chemistry going to be awkward? How do I fix that? What do I, how do I open all this shit? Honestly, Sylvester, I opened my open with you felt awkward as fuck for me. Good, <laughs> as I reflected good. back on nice. it, I was like, man, that was abrupt. Like I didn't ask you, I, like I didn't warm up and I'm experiencing now the perfection of it. Mm -hmm. Overthinking. Let's, mm -hmm. let's pivot a little bit because yeah. I know that's something that's near and dear to your heart. You know, my mom said to me uh, 25 years ago, this is my mom. My mom is a, a, a brilliant intellectual woman, ran a crisis center for 35 years. And wow. she said to me in my 20s, Brian, you think too much. One of the greatest gifts she ever gave me now, Sylvester, I know that you do not know my mother. I actually don't know that, but I'm going to assume you don't know my mother. I definitely know you're not in her head. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, what do you think she meant by that? Let's start there, because why not? Brian, you think too much. What do you think she what do you think she meant by that or yeah, we'll just start there and see where that takes us. Just for fun. There's obviously so much context I could ask for, but I'm not gonna yeah. ask for it because I'll yeah. just answer the question at face value. I think she was trying to invite you at that point in your life into the power of trusting yourself. It's dead on, man. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, a lot of the times overthinking is we, we do it to protect ourselves, um, either because we don't trust ourselves, we don't trust the environment, we don't trust the other people. We're fearful because we try to predict the outcome of what's going to happen. You know, every experience we have produces a kind of emotion. And the emotions, basically, we try to look at our emotions two ways. We look at it as, hey, that was good. I want to experience that again. Or that was awful. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid that. And that's basically how human behavior, you know, how we how we live. Mm -hmm. And so we use overthinking as a as a tool to our advantage. At least that's what we think we're doing to put ourselves in situations that will predict more of the stuff we like and will keep us away from the things we hate. You know, so, for example, if you if you ever catch yourself saying someone invites you somewhere and you say, oh, well, who else is going to be there? It's a harmless question. It's an innocent question. And I'm guilty of that. I'm, I pretty much always <laughs> ask that question, you know. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But the reason you're asking that question, you have to ask yourself, why are you really asking that? Like, I'm, in, I'm inviting you somewhere, right? I'm saying, hey, come share time with me. Come share lunch with me. Come, sh come share energy with me. Come whatever it is. And you say, well, who else is going to be there? What you're really saying is, I'm potentially afraid of this situation and I need more information. Can you help? Can you help me with the information so I can make sure I'm making a, the right quote unquote decision? That's really what you're really saying, because when you trust yourself and you trust your environment and you trust your ability to trust your intuition and your senses as you're in spaces. Hey, you want to go grab lunch tomorrow? Yeah, absolutely. What time? What time are you thinking? There's a completely different energetic response. 
Yeah, or, or just uh, no. Thank you for asking, but 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 no, but I'm 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 not feeling that that's the right move for me, or whatever the language is. Yeah, either way. And I think that's a big lesson for me. I'm I'm I've suffered from. I'm 47 years old. Um, I don't know what that means, but I have had a long experience of like I'm a, I'm a bit of an experienced junkie. Mm-hmm. I want experience. I want to experience the world. I was very blessed throughout my 20s and 30s to be able to travel all over the world. This was in the days before Instagram and YouTube, you know, where you, you couldn't you couldn't Instagram your trip. You know, there was no influencers in those days. And so I was I was very always one adventure leading to the next. And I think that question really loomed large in my mind. Well, who's going to be there? Which caused me nothing but fear for the most part, because fear that the wrong people are going to be there. It's going to fuck up my flow or fear that if I don't go to the thing, the right people are going to be there. Like the right people are going to be there and I don't go (laughs) and that's going to fuck up my flow. (laughs) So it's like talk about, again, overthinking. And, you know, in the last, you know, five-ish, five, six years, you know, again, I think really through my 40s, really practicing stepping into just trusting that there's wisdom in my body. And, and let's unpack this because this is a slippery slope. So I want to unpack this with you. But trusting that there is, uh, like you said, like your body was screaming when you needed to meditate. There's wisdom in the body that's telling me, yeah, 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 you should go to this thing. Or no, don't go to this thing. There's wisdom in the body pointing me, whispering, and it doesn't have all the information. And I generally find that when I listen to that, but again, I want to unpack this with you, Sylvester, because this can be used for good and evil. <laughs> that generally when I, when I listen, life flows well. But again, let's unpack that because what does it mean to, again, listen to the wisdom in the body? So let's go back to the example of the person who is saying, okay, well, who else is going to be there? And the reason we're asking that question is to get get more information so we can potentially predict the harm that may come to us or the joy that may come to us, right? That's, that's the, the root here. Okay. What that means to me at this point in my life that I figured out is that you're asking those questions because something is not full inside of you. So in my particular story, what was not full, it wasn't the overthinking, it was a lack of expressing my boundaries. So once I began to fully practice my boundaries in all situations, in my relationship, friendship, with people at work, whoever, just fully respecting like my body, my voice, what I want, my path, what I don't want, um, situations I don't want to be in, then all the overthinking went, went away. All of the, let me check on this situation, this environment. I, I identify as, a, as an empath, as a very empathetic person. So I'm very sensitive to other people's actions and reactions and what they're saying and how they're behaving. So because of that, I, I can't just be around everybody all the time. I don't have an unlimited battery. Like I'm assuming most people listening to this can relate. Like we don't have unlimited batteries here. I have a very limited amount to give. But I want to give. I want to show up. I want to be present. Like I want to be at the functions. I want to be, you know, doing the doing the things with people. Cool. 
So for my life, what I recognized was, oh, I just need to get great at boundaries. So for me, I got great at boundaries. Then any, any situations where I used to overthinking completely went away. So what I believe is, let's just say a person is overthinking. Okay, overthinking is just, is, is just a byproduct of something. So what, what are you really afraid of? Or what are you really not full in? Like, that's the question. That question leads us to the path of, okay, well, can I deconstruct that? Like, what are you, I'm going to ask you, what are you afraid of when it comes to overthinking? What are you really afraid of? You asking me right now? I'm asking you. Here's my biggest fear. I don't know if it was my biggest, but here's a core fear that I have identified. Um, I have this fear that I am not going to live to my fullest potential. Like I am going to fail somehow at what I came here. It's, it's, a, it's an insane fear. But the thought is I can, I can fail at what I came here to express through my life. So inside of that, you know, what gives way to that is, oh, shit, man, maybe like I have to go to this thing because what if like there's something that happens there that is a pathway to fulfilling my potential? <laughs> man, what pressure is that on myself? Like it's not just am I going to have a good time or not? It's like my life is at stake. <laughs> if I, so you're, putting, you're putting a lot of pressure around like certain interactions. Dude, I, I'm, on a, yeah. I'm on a mission in this body on this planet and which again man there's an insanity in that there's a there's a pathologic pathology in that and i'm, a, I'm but still like there's childhood programming there's you know family stuff there's like a lot mm -hmm. wrapped up in that that you know i'm here to on a fucking mission and so but that's my fear so overthinking is constantly for me it's constantly around you know, is what I'm doing, is this going to fulfill? Dude, it's exhausting, Sylvester, to live inside of that story. It's exhausting. I don't get to, I don't get a day off. What happens if you were able to reimagine that story, retell that story? Well, fortunately, I am able to reimagine and retell that story. I am able to relax that story and I get my life back. Ironically, I get my life back when I retell that story. That's the irony is I think inside of that story, I, I'm always thinking my life is over there. It's somewhere. It's not here. It's over there. Mm. And when I release that story, oh, man, I just here I am again, actually in my life, living my life, fulfilling the simplicity that is my life. And what happens if you, you do fail at the thing? Like what if, what if you fail like pretty bad? What, yeah. what really happens then? You know, I think for me, um, Sylvester, I, I live with a kind of schizophrenia in that I, I see the story and the irony is, Sylvester, in that story, I can only fail. There mm. is no success that would ever be enough to satisfy that story. When I'm able to relax that story and just, just you know, do my day, to just do the thing that I'm here to do, have this conversation with you, be present. I'll say it like this. F failure is welcome because I'm willing for things to not go the way I think they should go. doesn't mean it's comfortable. doesn't mean I like gonna, it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what's going to happen. So good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're living in reality. <laughs> totally. Here's my other question. Here's my other yeah. question. Sure. Is that story you actually yours? Did you create that story? 
No, I don't believe I did. No, not for a second. Yep. And that's for most of us. That's where so I have this new book coming out. It's called Loving Yourself Properly. And the first the very first chapter is called Shame Based Thinking. And so it goes through this entire framework about shame based thinking. And if you listen to people talk, most people that you listen to, even the people listening to this podcast, if you listen to the way most people talk, most of us talk with shame as the leader of our stories. We, we often tell people what we're not good at. Even, hey, you, you just made pancakes for your girl, for your wife, for your husband. You go take them to pancakes. Hey, I hope you like these pancakes. Yeah, I didn't have any blueberries or I didn't have any butter or, you know, I cooked them too long. Even the way we do little things like present food, we add shame into it. It's like, why not just walk up to the person and say, here go your pancakes, baby. These are the best damn pancakes you're going to have all day. <laughs> yeah. Literally feel the difference, the energy yeah. difference. Oh, yeah. You have you offer one and say, "Oh, I forgot your blueberries." I know blueberries are your favorite. Well, it's like, well, you're bringing shame into this. You're you're changing the energy to shame. And the other one, you say, "Hey, these are the best damn pancakes ever." Well, what's the energy there? It's fun. It's loving. It's magnetic. So my question for anybody listening to the podcast now is to just really reflect on some of the thoughts that you're saying to yourself, that you repeat over to yourself, the stories that you're repeating over to yourself and ask those two questions I asked, like what really would happen? If you, the, the thing that you fear, if that actually happened, what, what actually would happen? And a lot of the times we see that really, I mean, maybe some emotional discomfort, but in the physical world, like really nothing really would happen most of the time. And then the other question I asked is, uh, you know, is that your story? Most of the time it's not. Like I noticed a lot of the, the shame-based thoughts I had, they came from my mother and father, which is where most of it comes from. You're usually indoctrinated through religion, through school, through your parents or whoever you grew up with. For me, it was my mother and father. My shame-based thinking came around money. It came around money doesn't grow on trees. You don't know the value of money. Don't spend money on that. Save all your money. No, don't blow money on that. So it, came, it, became, it was a, a limiting belief system around money. And I experienced that when I wanted to quit my job, my corporate job in 2012. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to quit my job. Well, why would you do that? You're making 75000 a year. I'm like, oh, well, that's not a lot of money. I actually can make a lot more. I could invest less energy and make more money. And I don't like this work. So I want to do work that I like. I want to do work that inspires me. I want to do work that there's like a conscious capitalist, capitalist side of it where, yeah, I understand I'm exchanging money for goods or services. But I want to make sure that people are getting value and getting helped. And the products that I'm selling now, I don't, I don't feel, I feel like I'm actually hurting people. So I wanted to make an energetic switch for how I was making money. But to them, to my people, they just saw it as you're throwing away $75,000 a year, which is not security. Not here to shame anybody who makes that much money right now or less. But the way I saw that for myself, I'm like, oh, this is not security. Because what was, the, what was the sacrifice? What was the consequence of making that? Well, I was a manager. So I was always on duty for this corporation. I was managing, and they were paying me 75000 but I was managing a $12 million box. So that ratio was weird to me. That was a weird ratio to me. I was like, well, hell, maybe the stuff that I'm managing this $12 million box, if I could use it on my own stuff, my own business, my own products, maybe I could make a million dollars out of this or $2 million. I mean, they're making twelve. Multiply what I'm doing across the whole nation. There's 4,000 of me. I'm like, well, what if I just do this one thing for me? So like when I was talking about with Les Brown, I saw what was possible. 
So when I wanted to quit my job, I was trapped in overthinking because I was just thinking with the shame-based thought, the shame-based thought my parents gave me. No shame on them, no hate on them, but it's just being honest. So then I honestly asked myself, well, what's, what's the worst thing that could happen if I quit my job? At the time, I was only 25. And I thought to myself, I said, well, hell, if I'm 25 and I'm making 75K and everybody around me is telling me this is a lot of money, I say, let me get, at least give myself two years of doing my own thing. And if it doesn't work out, I'm sure I can bounce back. So me failing was like, would have been the best thing possible. So I did end up quitting the job and it was one of the best things I did because I followed my heart and I was able to work in uh, you know, the industry I'm in now. It was the best decision, one of the best decisions I made. Was there a time when your family finally saw what you were doing and since gave you their blessing? Did that moment ever happen? My family, some people, yeah. Yeah, some people in my family. Um, so my dad passed in 2014. And like I said, he was, he was the big trigger for me to take it to the next level when he passed because I quit my job in 2013. Like, you know, at the end of 2013, he passed in July 2014. So it was only a few months of me in transition, trying to figure everything out, trying to really get established. So he didn't really get to see this version of me. He didn't really get to see me evolve my vision. My mother, my mother was emotionally, you know, she's, she's been an emotionally unavailable her whole life, or I should say my whole life. I can't say her whole life, my whole life. So it's, it's, for me, at least, I haven't really been able to share those things with her. Like when I was playing football, I couldn't really share that with her. She didn't come to the games. You know, when I'm dating, whoever I was dating, I couldn't really share like, oh, me and so-and-so are going to the prom or we're going to do our first date. Like she wasn't really involved like that. It was just more, well, here's what you can't do. Don't do this. You know, so, I mean, I've shared some of the journey with her. She's heard it, but she's, she's definitely told me like, hey, I'm proud of you. But yeah. I forgive them though. But let me, let me just say that. That's another thing. See, a lot of us, we don't forgive our parents. We hold resentment against our parents forever. We hold pain against our parents forever. They could have did this. They should have did this. They, I mean, you're right. Like, I, I agree with you. You're right. If you're saying that my parents could have did more, you're right. They could have. But they were also learning. They were also, they were also under shame-based thinking. They were also limited by something, you know? They were also, just depends on the story of where you come from. You know, you, do you have an immigrant family? Do you have, like my mother was a black, a black woman growing up in this country. So it's like, I, I have no idea what she went through like, you know what I mean? So that's the other thing I always want to offer people is forgiveness, you know? Forgive yourself first. You got to forgive yourself. You know, it's not your fault you have shame-based thinking. And, and we don't need to place blame on our parents either. Let's not blame them. My dad was an alcoholic. He beat my ass all the time. I don't whoop my kid. I don't hit my kid. I wanted to change that. That's a generational curse. Hitting kids to me is a generational curse. A lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I got hit and I turned out fine. No, you didn't. The fact that you would say that shows that you did not turn out fine. Because a kid, a kid does not know the difference between a slap on the wrist and quote-unquote abuse. They interpret it as the same. They interpret it as fear and danger. You, you trigger their nervous system in the fight or flight. And we already talked about this. What can't happen when your nervous system is triggered? Well, you can't heal. So you're putting your kid in a situation where they can't heal. You know, it's like my parents, a lot of people in my parents' generation, they wanted their kids to fear them. Well, why? Well, why is that? 
Well, that's because in their generation, they associated fear with respect and they wanted to be respected as parents. Well, that's not, that, doesn't, that doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work anymore. You want respect? You know what we need? We need, we need you to be present. We need love. We need an ear. We need a hug. God damn it. We need a hug. We need, we need men who are like, hey, you know what? I'm going to show up for you. I'm not going to just choose alcohol over my family. I'm not going to just choose porn over my family. I'm not going to just work all day to avoid this tough conversation with my wife or with my teenage daughter. We need men who are going to say, hey, I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up. And we need to support each other because a lot of the times, a lot of the times when it comes to asking men to show up, it is very, it's not supportive. So it's making that time for your brother. Like, hey, man, what's going on? You know, what, do you need to talk? Do you need to, you need an ear? Do we need to go for a walk? What, you know, what's going on? How can I, how can I support you? And then, you know, they always say, like, be man enough. Well, being man enough really isn't about pushing it off, brushing it off. This is just to me. It's not about pushing it off or brushing it off or trying to be strong. Because as men, all we want to do is be strong. And sometimes that strength is just looking at your brother and saying, man, I'm not, I'm not feeling it today. I'm not good. I don't, I don't like my wife right now. She's bothering me. <laughs> or I don't, I don't like my kids right now. They're bothering me. Whatever it is, like be honest. You know, be honest with your brothers because we can't, we can't have our brotherhood just be about, you know, the three B's, beers, ball games, and breast. It's like sometimes you talk to men and that's the only things they want to talk about. It's like, okay, we can have that conversation, sure. But what else is going on in the world? We have to talk about so much more than that. There's uh, so much in what you're, you're sharing. I was in a workshop 10 years ago, a teacher by the name of Byron Katie. Uh, her whole teaching is about questioning our stressful thoughts. And I was in a workshop, about 300 people, about 10 years ago. And there was a black woman in this workshop who um, I saw. So just nine days slide, just nine days of questioning our stressful thoughts. That's all we did for nine days straight. And I saw this uh, black woman about halfway through, she had this moment of epiphany. She, and this is, this, this is what she shared with all of us. She shared that she had been beat, she had beaten her two children, her black children. And her rationale for it, she beat them because she knew the world was going to beat them. So better she teach them how to take a beating because the world's going to do it anyway. So in her mind, she had been teaching them to take a beating by beating them herself. And, and the moment she that popped for her, I heard a cry out of her. Her whole being wailed in a way like I've never heard anyone wail like that before. When she saw, that was such a profound moment for me. I mean, for so damn many reasons, obviously. Just being a white man, not understanding the black experience. Uh, also, just understanding, uh, honestly, an ex-girlfriend that I had. I, I heard through this black woman speaking. I finally heard an ex-girlfriend of mine, all the things that she had been wanting to tell me. But also, um, my parents. Like what you said, you know, being able to understand. I think what I've learned is to, is to hold space for my anger at how... You know, my father has not shown up for me. Hold space for that. I can, I get to be angry and my father didn't have the internet. He didn't have YouTube. He couldn't go on and watch our videos, Sylvester. He, he couldn't, right. there was no Amazon. Where were his therapists? Where was his mental health support? You know, exactly. it's like they didn't have that. So 
Yeah, we're allowed to be pissed off. We're allowed to be angry. We're allowed to resent any of those low vibrational emotions. We're allowed to be that. But we can also say, you know what? I, I have to forgive you because forgiveness is the only way we get free from that emotion. It's the only way. Dad, like my, my dad, Sylvester McNutt Jr., I'm absolutely pissed to this day that he was an alcoholic. Absolutely pissed about it. But I also can look back on his life, on what I know, because I don't know everything, and I can forgive him for it. Because he was, that was the only way he could cope with a lot of the stress he was dealing with. It's the only way he could cope. He didn't have the resources. So I forgive him. I really believe that, and I see this change, man, a lot. I really believe that so much healing will come in the world from men just being, just being present with their children. And I see that in men of, 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 of my generation, of our generation. I really see a sea change happening in the way that men are being, learning to be present for their children in a way that our parents just had no clue about. And I'm very reassured by that. How old is your son, may I ask? He is 17 months. Oh, man, 17 months. Wow. This is your only child so far? Yep, yep, yep. Wow. How, how is that for you? Man, it's been crazy. Uh-huh. It's been crazy. He was born in March right before the uh, pandemic oh, last year. Okay. okay. So last year for me was a world of emotion. Yeah. You know, it was a world of emotion. Yeah. Like, I remember when he was born, I was in shock. He was purple. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Is that... He literally came out purple, like uh-huh. Barney. I was like, oh my why God. is he purple? I was in shock. <laughs> yeah, I would ask the same thing, man. Why is my son purple? What's happening here? <laughs> what? No one told me about that. But he was okay, though? Or was there something yeah, actually he was... happening? or? No, he was fine. It was crazy because just a few hours later, he was brown. But <laughs> okay. when he came out, the man was purple. And, and he's doing well now? Oh, yeah. He's a monster now. He's okay. a little monster. He terrorizes he? the house. Oh, man. So I have a, a TV that sits on a, uh, I have like a 48-inch TV that sits on a on a nice, nice little uh, TV stand. So he walked over to it yesterday and the power button on the side. So he hit the power button. He's like, oh, I can turn this off and on. So he's like... He's turning it off and on. I was watching the Suns and Bucks game. Uh-huh. And then uh, I looked down in my book because I, re- I always read or I either read or like go on my computer doing the commercials because, you know, I don't watch the commercials. So all of a sudden I hear like a dit, 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 and I look up and this boy is rocking the TV back and forth. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh-huh. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Either <laughs> this TV has to get mounted uh-huh. or it's got to go. Like, so he's just at that point where he wants to deconstruct and terrorize and like break and to him it's not being destructive it's just he wants to know how things work yeah you know what is this sound what's the cause and effect yeah. so it's, it's just yeah. so cool to see his brain like interact with his world you know I, so yeah. cool to see yeah i can imagine that's like let me just let me just take everything apart just to see how it fits together i mean it may not yep. be a conscious thought it's just but i can i, I get that i remember uh you know word of caution i remember years ago reading about um you know the 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 what's the the irrational fear of terrorism in our country sure it's here but you know mm. i read this statistic we are we are far more likely to get to get killed by a tv falling on our head than we are by a terrorist act wow 
I thought that was a very interesting statistic because nobody thinks they're going to die from a TV falling on their head. And yet that's more likely than, right. than again, it shows you the, the, the overthinking. And I actually have a memory of my, of my sister when we were young, she had a TV fall on her damn head. Um, so that happens and it kills people. And again, coming back to overthink, I just, I just offer that as, you know, yeah, mount that TV, Sylvester. Oh, it's getting mounted. Because <laughs> that shit happens. <laughs> That's a bigger threat than terrorism to your son. Uh, there's a few more questions I wanna I wanna sure. to yeah. touch on with you if you got time. And and, and then okay. And then we'll wrap up with with my five key takeaways. We'll do a lightning round for that. Um, because you mentioned that you're in a men's group. Um, I also am in, been in men's groups for, for many years and, and I'm in a men's group of, of, of just what are extraordinary, beautiful heart connected men. And, you know, we do battle in that group, but always respectfully, you know, with so much love. Why is it important for you that you regularly gather with other men in intentional ways? Man, I wish I would have been doing this in my twenties, you know, so in teenage years and then in my twenties, I, I play sports. You know, so there you, you are always around men, but it was more like, you know, when they use that phrase toxic masculinity, I hate that phrase, first of all. Me too. But I, I'm not a fan. I, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. But playing sports is toxic masculinity for sure, <laughs> because it's just. Yeah, I understand maybe, what maybe, they mean by it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe now it's evolved a little bit. Um, but like, so I, I started playing football in 1999 um, and then to 2003 in high school and then in college. So there wasn't really, you know, the space for the mental health talk. There wasn't space for like the NFL player who just came out as gay. I support that. I think that's cool. Like, bro, you got to be yourself. You got to be who you are. And I, I, I couldn't imagine somebody doing that in one of those locker rooms because yeah. there was so much racist stuff that was said, homophobic stuff, sexist. And it was just that was just the common norm of, of locker rooms. And there was no. Like there was nobody to say, hey, let's like we shouldn't talk like this or like, you know, let's raise our, our vibration. Let's have deeper conversation. Let's like you either conform to that or you got made fun of or beat up or something like there was consequences. So I, I feel like the sports world now and obviously I'm not in it as a professional or as a collegiate athlete anymore now. But I, I feel like from the outside looking in, it's probably better than, 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 than you know. 15, 20 years ago, which is the point of humankind. We should be evolving, right? Every 20 mm -hmm. to 30 years, we should evolve at least a little bit. And so um, I don't know how potent a man's group would have been for me in my 20s, but I, I, I at least, I feel like I needed it. And now in my 30s, I 100% will never leave. Yeah. Like I cannot not have a men's group because yeah. just as things happen in relationship, you know, with the kid now, uh, and as an entrepreneur, as a business person, just as a man, just as a human, a lot of the times, especially when you have shame-based thinking, you have shame in your body, you want to metabolize it, all of your experience by yourself on your own. And this individualistic mindset that we have here in America, it really keeps us out of, out of being witnessed in like a potent community. Mm -hmm. And so what happens, and I, I, I want to be mindful of how I say this, but some of... I feel like some of the suicides we've we've experienced could have been prevented. Uh, I'm not saying if the problem it would have made the problem go away, but sometimes just other people witnessing your problem can make you feel loved. You know, it can make you feel at home. It can make your problem feel smaller. 
just for other people to say, yeah, I went through that. I went through that and I got through this. Oh, you went through that? You got through this? Well, what, what, what'd you, what did you do? How did you, how did you recover? What did, you know, just having that, that space to share what you're going through. You know, um, I think about people going through breakups. Um, you know, I think about just people getting COVID, getting sick, breaking a bone. You know, do you want to deal with all that on your own? I don't. In my 20s, I did. I was a lone wolf. Mm-hmm. I was a lone wolf. I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'll just rub some dirt on it and go lift weights and I'm good. Don't worry about me. Yeah. Oh, I'll just go make some money and I'm good. That's, yeah. that's, our, that's our conditioning as men. Yeah. Let's make ourselves strong. Well, how do we do that? Well, you have sex with a woman, you make money uh, or you go lift. You know, yeah. those, that's how you make yourself strong. That's what they, that's what, at least that's what they teach us. But it's like mm-hmm. strong is like also sitting with this group of men that I'm about to meet with in an hour and just say, when I report to them this week, I'm feeling really good. So I can let them know, like, I'm great. But there was a time I had to report two months ago. I was, I was, I was down and out. Yeah. I wasn't well. I was hurting. Yeah. And I was able to, to, to go wit- be witnessed by these men. And literally all they said was, we have your back. Whatever you need, let us yeah. know. I'm here to support you. Yeah. They didn't fix the problem for me. They didn't change anything. They just said, I'm here for you. Yeah. And that, that was enough. You know, so anybody listening to this, if you're not in a men's group, create one right now. Contact three or four of your friends. Just set the tone. You know, you got to set the tone. You have to, you have, you, you need it. Yeah. If you get anything from this podcast, you need yeah. a men's group. Thousand, thousand percent, thousand percent. I find that, that it's, it's so, it's like I don't have to carry my burdens alone. When I share Every men's group I've ever either been in or or run myself, there is, I don't care who these men are, I don't care what level they are performing in their professional lives, or there is always at least one or two men that are fucking going through it, man. That life is just handing them their ass right now. And and if you're in a group long enough, well, in six months it might not be that guy anymore, it'll be one of the other guys. But like all of us at one point or another are going through it, having our ass handed to us. If we're being yeah, honest and it will about be it. You, it will be you at one point. <laughs> Absolutely. It will, like I know, I know it will be me, you know? And that's the thing is when that happens, do you want to do it alone? Yeah. Or do you want to have community and space? And having other men rather than also, let's say you're in relationship and your ass is getting handed to you. Well, if it might be your relationship that's handing your ass to you. Or even if it's just maybe your job or money, you can't bring that. I mean, your partner can't hold all that for you, but a group of men, we can hold that. I'm going to say this. Hopefully I don't get canceled. Um, but if you guys do cancel me, come to Arizona and cancel me in person. <laughs> I, I want to see that, you know? Uh, I don't think this is coming from a heteronormative, heterosexual view of the world. That's what I am. I just can't imagine the emotional side of everything that I share with my men's group for 90 minutes every Tuesday, and then again, another 90 minutes in a different group every Monday. I am emotionally available with my woman. We've been together six years. We have a kid together. But it's much easier and much more comfortable to share with men, especially me being a heterosexual man in the groups that I'm in are heterosexual men. I, so, th- so there's a lot uh, in common. I just find it so much easier and more natural to share. 
And I think that the men who struggle with it, with sharing with their partner, with a female partner, I think you actually, it would make, it would benefit you to get with men and to share it with men because then you're practicing those words, you know, and then you're practicing knowing like exactly what to say, because you don't need, I don't feel like you need to tell your lady every single thing. I don't think most women want to know every single thing, just like as men, I don't think we want to know every single thing. You know, but that's like my girl. She talks to her girls about things that I don't want to talk to her about. <laughs> and that's why it's healthy. It's healthy. You know, it's healthy to have that, those friendships. Look, look, let's lean into this a little bit. Because if, if you're going to get canceled, let's get canceled together. All okay, right? let's get canceled. Let's, let's go down. Let's go down with this ship together. But no, I, I think I think here's what I figured out. Here's what I believe happens in a men's group that is it's it's I believe in containers. The relationship with your woman, with your part spouse is a container and inside like your yep. bedroom is a container in the bedroom. You, you, you should rest and make love. That's about it Yep. in your office. You know, it's like you don't, don't do work in your bedroom. That's not what the container is for. So your relationship with your woman is a container where you should both feel nurtured, nourished, uh, sure, the conflict is going to arise, but you should be able to navigate that conflict in ways that 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 is gentle and reassuring to each other, that helps each other to feel safe. We men have a certain intensity. We have a certain intensity. We need to be able to push up. I mean, this is why we love you know wrestling, fighting, competitive sports. Not that women don't, but by and large, men require some type of real visceral, intense expression through our bodies. It's how we fucking feel alive and feel, right. feel ourselves. And we, in a men's group, we can push up against each other. We can, feel like, I love actually, like, when we just, you know, feel each other. I'm smacking my chest right now because it's like I'm, I'm feeling my body. In a men's group, and we can do this through conversation. We can challenge each other. You know, I always respectfully, but when we don't do it respectfully, another man can say, yo, back the fuck off. Hold up. Stop. We can meet the intensity with intensity in a way that a really well-held men's group, you know, when, we, when we're really a stand for doing conflict respectfully, we can bring that intensity in a way that's like, oh, okay, there you are. I see where your boundaries are. Talk about boundaries. Ah, there you are. Here's where I am. Here's where you are. Okay, good. I know where I am. It's like, it's like a weighted blanket. I know where I am and I know where you are. I feel safe now because I know where everybody is. I know where I am in my place here. And if I'm doing that with my woman, that's going to destroy the relationship. That's not what, that's not what that relationship is for. Because to, 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 I find it interesting over, over my lifetime when you know, I would never choose to be committed to the women that I thought I could just push over. The women who would just let me get away with anything. I would never choose those women. Even though it was, you know, uh, it, it might be easy in a sense, but I would never want to be with, committed to those women. But the women that I really chose, and my wife, Sylvie, she didn't let me get away with shit. And I mean, I don't, she's not disrespectful towards me, but she, she, I realize that I can't push this woman over. But the part of me that needs to still tussle and wrestle and, and, you know, test and it doesn't serve if I do that with her. I need, I need men to, you know, step into the arena with other men and do these. So, oh man, I can get all that energy out. And f so I, I think Sylvester, what you're saying, man, is right on point. We need each other because if we don't have each other, we're going to take 
that the need for that intensity and even that sort of healthy, you know, battle into our intimate relationships, it's going to fuck it up. I second everything you just said, word for word. So I'm excited for you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that that is a regular part of your life and I really hear your commitment to it. And uh, I love that this came up here at the, at the end of our, our conversation. And I want to, I want to wrap up with what I call the five key takeaways. And I want to say just, it's been a privilege and a pleasure to talk with you, man, to dive deep with you. I feel like this has been a meditation. (laughs) I've enjoyed this. I, I see you. I see you, man. And I feel you and I appreciate So uh, let's wrap up with the five key takeaways. It's just some things that our listeners can put their kind of hook into that they can, can, can run off with um, from our conversation. So uh, you haven't had these questions ahead of time. So let's dance. Number one, key insight. What's the one key insight that you would offer our listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? Examine the stories that you're telling yourself. You know, why am I telling myself this story? Is it really true? Is it all the way true? Is it halfway true? Where did it where did it come from? Did it come from society, a parent? What where where did the conditioning come from? And then do you have to hold on to it? Beautiful. I love it. Examine the stories. So valuable, so important. Number two, key mentor, name another man that you've been inspired by, living or dead, that you would recommend our listeners to learn more about. This is a good one. You know, I think the first man I want to talk about is my father. Mm. You know, he he was a United States Army guy. Uh, He was a chef, became a manager, a dietitian. Uh, six kids, I think he had total. Uh, he was way more extroverted than me, and I'm kind of extroverted. I'm like a, I'm like a on the scale of one to ten, extrovert being ten, introvert being one. Mm. My range is like five to seven ish. Mm. I'm I'm never quite the the level eight, nine, ten extrovert. He was that, and uh, he would always remind me. You know, life is short. Live your life. Live your life. He literally would say this to me all the time. Life is short. Live your life. Live your life. Do the things you want to do. Don't wait for permission. You know, he would he would tell me that. Um, so I wanted to share that. Um, someone whose work, quote unquote, you could dive into would be uh, my therapist, Francis Weller. He's a- is your therapist, Francis Weller, you lucky man. I love Francis, the author of Wild Edge of Francis- Sorrow. Yeah. Oh man, he's incredible. I'm, oh man, I just my envy level just shot up. Yeah, I he's incredible. Love man. him. Thank you for he's bringing inc- him. His, his work is incredible. Yeah. Wild Edge of, of Sorrow. He has yeah. a a program called Healing Shame. He has another program called uh, the Initiation, the Alchemy of Initiation, which talks yeah. about you know initiating groups. Mm-hmm. Um, love his work, man. Oh, I love I'm it. A fan. I'm such a huge fan. Yeah. I'll give you one more though. You know, I really like uh, Joe Dispenza right now. I really oh, like yeah. Joe Dispenza's work. Yeah. yeah, he's good. I like Joe Dispenza's work. I like how he talks about, um, you know, how you can change your life with your thoughts. I really yeah. like that work, changing your life with your thoughts. But his his work is practical. It's not just like, you know, 
oh, if you just look at this star, everything, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, it's very practical. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. His, his book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Oh, yeah. I like oh, that. Oh, man. That, that book, I mean, I've read a lot of life-changing books. That's one of them. Yeah, I like it because he invites you to be nobody. <laughs> you know, yeah. so be no. It's like because you're telling yourself, yeah. "Oh, well, I'm this person. I'm this person. I'm right. this person." And yeah. it's like, well, what if you were nobody? I know what a title. Breaking wow. the habit of being yourself. Boy, that's mm -hmm. a mind fuck, but the best kind. And I love that you uh, that you bring in your father as well. I think I agree, man. First and foremost, regardless of our our fathers, the way they showed up or didn't. Um, I think it's important that we that we honor the gifts they did give us. Mm, absolutely. Number, uh, what are we at? Number three, key resource, your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of the last year. Okay, okay. What's something that has inspired me over the last year? Hmm. I got to go with uh, Sober Curious by Ruby Warrington. And okay. um, yeah. I'm I'm actually sober right now from alcohol. I've been uh, intentionally doing this. I have a little app here that tells me like how many days. Let's check in. And what was was alcohol? Did you identify as an addict, or you just are just wanting to kind of just take it out of your life altogether, or experimenting with that? No, never been an addict. I was drinking some Sauvignon Blanc, which is my favorite wine. Mm. So I'm 105 days free from alcohol. What What are you noticing? Oh, man, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So uh, okay. and then like my son came up to me, he's just sitting there and he's just looking at me, you know, with his curious eyes. And he's like, what are you doing? And so I started explaining it to him. I said, this is this is wine. It's it's grapes fermented with, you know, some sugar. I like I'm explaining the whole process to him. Uh -huh. And then after I explained the process to him, I tried to drink another sip of the wine and my body was like, nope, mm. no more. My son, so I'm black. My son is, uh, his mom is, is Mexican-American. So my son is, is Blackskin. You know, he's black Blackskin. and he's, he's Mexican. <laughs> uh -huh. So we talked to him in English and Spanish. And then he was looking and he pointed at it. And I just said, ah, no mas. Like, I'm not drinking anymore. Mm. And then I set it down. It was an instinctual like reaction to that moment. What has happened for me in 105 days? Complete, complete mental clarity complete mental clarity hmm. um obviously less calories way less calories mm -hmm. um so less calories consumed better sleep mental clarity um i feel like i have more power and control because i've been out several times been out to dinners uh, i even went out to, to the bar with some friends and it's just like i told i told them ahead of time i set my boundary ahead of time hey i'm going out with you guys just so you know i'm not drinking so don't mm -hmm. don't because you know how you go out with people and they're like oh i'm gonna get you a shot i'm gonna do it and mm -hmm. it's like mm -hmm. i know you're doing this out of love and i appreciate mm -hmm. that but like no don't do it yeah. so i just set my boundary ahead of time in psychology they call that priming so i just primed them ahead of time mm -hmm. to let them know i'm not drinking don't buy me a drink then follow i followed through with it when i was there and now it's at a point it's been three months so they just know mm. you know like we're planning my birthday coming up here uh, august 23rd i'm a virgo we're planning a, a guy's trip to Miami. And they already know we're even going to go on Miami on vacation. I'm not drinking. Hmm. So don't even offer it to me. Yeah. No, I was never, I was never an alcoholic. I just, I, I just, my body was screaming at me. I'm going to yeah. listen. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. The book, the name of the book is Sober Curious. Sober Curious by Ruby Warrington. Okay. 
Great. And, and for our listeners, all of this will be in the show notes uh, at brianreeves.com slash mendthiswaypodcast if you can't write this down or, or you're running or driving or something. Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash mendthiswaypodcast. It'll all be there. Uh, two more. Key investment in the last year, what's the best thing you spent money on under $10,000? Wow, this is a great question. Hmm. There's so many. I mean, there's just so many. I'll try to pick one. Um, I'm cutting you off after one. That's all you get. <laughs> let's just go with... I'm going to go with the thing. Uh, I'm a tangible thing. But just all the, the stuff I've been able to buy for my son. You know, the, the, the little tykes football and the books, his clothes, you know, just the basic stuff for his life. Like just to be able to do that. I'm, I'm grateful. Like, I'm just so grateful to be able to buy this guy stuff and like get his the strawberries he loves and like get his food. Just just to be able to buy him things it really has been a great investment for me. It just feels so good. OK, so just just feeding your son, nourishing your son. Yeah. In all the ways yeah. that that takes shape. Yeah, it feels good. Beautiful. Last one. Key practice. Please offer one consistent practice, spiritual, creative, personal, or relational, that has served you well and that you challenge our listeners to take on for just the next seven days. Yeah, don't take no shit. I know you weren't expecting that one. Well, and what do you mean by that? Okay. Boundaries. I mean, you have to put up boundaries. A lot of the times we hear the word boundaries and we think of other people. But my invitation to you is boundaries with yourself. What excuses are you making about your life right now? What excuses are you making about your life right now? Whoever's listening to this, answer that question. I really want you to call what you want into your vision. What exactly do you want? In this present moment, out of life, out of your business, out of your, out of your career, out of being a dad, what exactly do you want? Okay. Okay. You have an image of what you want. Okay. Now what's your resistance to that thing? What's preventing you? What's preventing you from getting there? And that that's probably where you're going to find your excuses. And I don't want you to take that shit anymore. I don't want you to give yourself those excuses anymore. I don't want you to give yourself those excuses anymore. Oh, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to lose 20 pounds. Okay, sure. You can do it. Or I want to gain 20 pounds. Sure. You can do that. Well, I'm never going to, but because, no, no, no. What did Les Brown tell us in the 80s? He told us it was possible. But how are we going to do it? What's, what's the tangible vehicle that will get us to what we want? It's our boundaries. It's the ability to say no. I'm, I have to say no to that because that is not in alignment with exactly what I want. It's not in alignment. I have to say no to that. Or I have to say yes to all of uh, Yes, give me all of that. I'm saying yes, please. Because that's in alignment with what I want. Like I came on this podcast with you because I get, I get asked to do interviews every day. 99% of the time I say no. I look for a very specific host. You know, when I first started doing this, I, I was like, okay, because the ego was at the forefront. It's like, oh, well, what? You know, you want to get people who have the biggest name, who have the biggest platform. And, and that's how you come in. That's your entry point, right? It's because you're using your ego. You're, you're playing the numbers game. 
I think I did 10 of those and was drained. And I was like, dude, this sucks. <laughs> like that can't, that, that can't be the way I, that can't be my entry point. So I switched my game up to, I need to look for a specific host because it's an energy exchange between me and you. I need to look for a specific host because even if nobody ever listens to the podcast, I want to know that I at least made a connection with the host. And when I, when I switched that, that gave me a better connection to not only my own podcast, but to coming on podcasts. So that's what I mean by ask yourself what exactly what, what you want. There was a certain experience that I wanted. And I said, no, I'm saying no to 99% because I know exactly what I want. So boundaries. Yeah, that's boundaries. powerful. That's powerful, man. I, I hear that loud and clear. And, and, I, and what I also heard in that is, you know, if you're still saying yes to what is actually a no for you, well, I guess maybe you need to do that a little bit more until you get the lesson that saying yes to what's really a no doesn't serve you. Yeah, you need to suffer. That's what you need. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. you need you need you, yeah. you need to experience that suffering and you need to experience that pain. It's <laughs> like I remember I was in a toxic relationship. I've only been in one very toxic relationship. We're both toxic. And I remember I was going to my therapist and I'm just like asking her, like, well, she does this and she does this. I was 23 at the time. I was very young. Like, she she does this, and I'm just blaming her, victim mentality, da 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 da. My therapist goes, Well. How long can you survive? And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, you've, you've been coming here for three weeks complaining about this woman. How long can you survive being with a woman who's not in alignment with you? And I was like, shit. I can't survive. I can't even. Like, I'm dead right now. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. in your office right now, right. I'm dead. <laughs> by, by you asking me that question, you made me realize yeah. I'm dead. Yeah. I'm not here. Yeah. So in order for me to be alive, I have to say no to every woman like her that brings me out of my purpose, out of my healing, mm -hmm. out of my happiness, right? Out of my energy and into whatever she was inviting me to. Yeah. So that relationship ended because I said no. So I, I remember going home and I wrote on a piece of paper. I'm like, these are the exact, I literally wrote my boundaries out. I'm like, nope, this is the type of woman I will never deal with. I'm not even negotiating with you. And then this is what I'm open to. Two years later, the girl that I'm with now, been together, we've been together six years, uh, got a beautiful son with her. We have a great, healthy relationship. She was basically what I wrote down on that paper. I love that. When you say no to what is a no, you make space for what is an authentic yes for you. Well, this was not a lightning round of the five key takeaways, but it is exactly what I am thrilled uh, it would have wanted it to be. So thank you. Um, Sly, where can our listeners learn more about you? Well, my real name is Sylvester McNutt III. If you type that in on the internet, you'll find Yeah, me. you are not hard to find, man. You are uh, showing up big and beautiful and powerful on the internets, man. I'm so glad your your voice is activated and, and, and re reverberating through the world. We need your voice. Keep at it, man. I'm honored that you said yes to coming on to Men This Way. It means a lot to me. I do not take that for granted. I appreciate you, uh, um, and I'm just excited to watch your journey continue to unfold. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you again to Sylvester McNutt III. Find Sly by searching him online, as he said, Sylvester McNutt III. Not hard to find. Uh, uh, I'm not even sure anyone else on the planet has that name. It's such a beautiful, powerful name. I love it. 
And of course, uh, I'll put links and resources and Sylvester's key five key takeaways in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash men this way podcast. Remember, it's Brian with a Y, Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S dot com slash men this way podcast. Now, if you were served by this and think others should hear it too, please share this episode or just write a review so that you too can lead more men this way. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired. Inspired.